right now, please speak to us. Renew our minds, transform our hearts, animate our hands and feet by the power of your word and your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been zooming in on different attributes of God. Because during hard times, what we need most is a clear picture of who God is and what God is like. In an ever-changing world, we need to center our lives on the God who never changes, who is a fixed point, who's an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. Today we're going to zoom in on God's wisdom. So what is God's wisdom like? Well, A.W. Tozer says this, and I'll paraphrase. Wisdom is God's ability to achieve the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. To see the end from the beginning, the parts in relation to the whole, in full focus. God's wisdom is his ability to determine the ultimate ends and to work towards those ends with flawless precision. To take all of the loose ends of history and bind them together into one grand, unifying, all-encompassing purpose. And what this means is that God doesn't bumble. He never needs to start over. He doesn't say, whoops, that's not going to work. He doesn't learn from his mistakes. He doesn't improvise. He doesn't figure things out along the way. Every single thing that he does, he does with the end in mind. And what is his end? His end is his magnificent, incomparable glory on display through the perfection of his children and the restoration of all that he has made. God's wisdom means that he is always at work bringing about the most good for the most people for the greatest amount of time. Now, I can't prove God's wisdom. As a mathematician friend reminded me this week, God's wisdom is axiomatic, meaning it's not a theory that I can prove, it's an assumption that allows me to function. Like the belief that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I can't prove that either, but I can't do geometry without assuming that it's true. I can't prove God's wisdom, and yet it is entirely plausible. Just look at creation. The earth has been perfectly designed to support the life that we find on this planet. Francis Collins is the leader of the, the Human Genome Project and the director of the National Institute of Health. And he wrote this. He says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, uh, constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc., that have very, very precise values. If any one of those constants were off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, one part in a million millions, the universe could have never actually come to the point where we see it now. The universe is perfectly fine-tuned to support life, so much so that it is unreasonable to assume that it was a matter of chance. It must have been the intention of a beautiful mind. Look at the human body. This is cool. If a part of your liver is removed or destroyed, 
the remaining part will actually grow to the original size and function just as it did before. And the same is true for your kidney, pancreas, thyroid, adrenal glands, and lungs. Isn't that amazing? And look at nature. You know, when human beings damage and degrade ecosystems and habitats, those spaces can be restored. Forests devastated by fires can regenerate over time. Can you imagine what our world would look like if we didn't have a rain cycle? There would be no life on land. God thought of everything. He planned not just the ends, but the means, and he did it with flawless precision. Look at God's wisdom and redemption. God is holy, and therefore he can't tolerate sin. God is just, and therefore he must punish sin. And God is love, and therefore he wants to be in relationship with his children who are sinful. How could God do it without compromising who he is? How could God ever satisfy his holiness, his justice, and his love all at once? It seems impossible. And yet God found a way. In his great wisdom, he sent his perfect son to live the life we should have lived and to die the death we should have died. He put our sin on his shoulders so that on the cross, God's holiness, God's justice, and God's love were all three satisfied in one brilliant stroke with surgical precision. And at the same time, Imagine this, God also managed to disarm the power of darkness, including death itself. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God's wisdom is his ability to achieve the most perfect ends by the most perfect means, to move all of history towards its glorious purposes, to keep all of his attributes in perfect balance and to bring about the most good for the most people, for the greatest amount of time. That's God's wisdom. Now, theologians say that God's wisdom is one of his communicable attributes, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a part of God's character that he shares with us because he wants us to be wise too. So James chapter 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God is generous. He wants to make you wise. He's just waiting for you to ask. So, what is the purpose of the wisdom that God gives? Well, God gives us wisdom so that we can be faithful and fruitful in every circumstance we find ourselves. So that we can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that we can keep pursuing God's glory and not grow weary and lose heart. So that we can learn to see our trials against the backdrop of what God wants to do in us, namely, to conform us to the image and likeness of his Son. And that's why James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, not because we have trials, 
but because our trials have a purpose. Now, sometimes we only discover God's purpose after the fact. I was talking with a friend this week, and he was reflecting back on, on one of his first jobs. He was fresh out of college. The company he was working for <laughs> was a disaster. Poorly structured, terrible supervision, chronically understaffed. I mean, just an incredibly stressful environment, especially for a 22, 23-year-old. But he said to me, you know, that job um, threw so many things at me, and particularly in the beginning, I was just always overwhelmed, uh, but it taught me a valuable lesson, and that is that I need to focus on the things that I have control over. I need to hone in on the things, uh, hone in on the places where I can make a significant impact that will outlive me. And he went on to say just how valuable that lesson has been ever since, not just in subsequent jobs, but in every facet of his life. And so right now, he finds himself in another difficult situation at work, but he knows how to be faithful and fruitful in it because God has given him the wisdom to navigate the trials that he allows to enter his life. When you experience trials, and we're all experiencing some right now, don't complain. It's tempting, I know. Don't duck the trial. Don't, don't try to get out of it. Press into God and say, I need wisdom to know how to be faithful and fruitful in this moment. And I trust that in your wisdom, you will use this to make me mature and complete and to prepare me for what's next. I don't know what trials you're facing right now. I'm not going to pretend that they're pleasant. But God is just waiting for you to ask him for wisdom if you haven't already. And he promises to use whatever he allows to enter your life to make you more like Jesus. To make you more humble. To make you more willing to ask for help. More gentle. More resilient. Perhaps less self-absorbed and self-reliant. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Let's, uh, let's talk about a common misconception that people have about wisdom. God is omniscient, okay? We're not. We don't get to see everything that God sees. We live on the tarmac, not in the air traffic control tower. We know how the story ends, but we don't know how all the pieces fit together. So the wisdom that God promises us is not wisdom to understand how everything works. The wisdom God promises us is the wisdom to know how to navigate our lives one step at a time. When I was in high school, um, I went on a service learning trip to Bolivia uh, with, uh, with my church, and we landed in La Paz, which is about 14,000 feet above sea level, and then we, uh, we boarded a great big bus, and we set out for the village of Tioponte on the other side of the mountains. It's only about 70 miles as the crow flies, but it took us eight hours to get there because the only road between La Paz and Tioponte is, is a dirt road that winds its way through the mountains. Um, <laughs> virtually the entire drive, uh, you look out one side of the bus, and you see you know, this wall of mountain going up. And you look out the other side, and you see this precipitous drop going down. 
And in some places, you know, the drop is 1,000 feet or more. And there are no guardrails anywhere on this road. Uh, every time we went around a corner, the driver had to honk his horn <laughs> in case another vehicle was coming from the other direction because the road was barely wide enough uh, for two vehicles to pass each other, especially if one of them was a tour bus. Um, <laughs> and more than once, when we came upon another vehicle, the drivers had to get out, stand in the road, and negotiate how they were going to pass each other so that neither one fell off the side of the mountain. And at one point, we looked down, um, and we saw in a ravine uh, a tour bus that looked just like ours that had driven off the road and fallen hundreds of feet, uh, no doubt killing everyone inside. It was probably the most terrifying experience of my life. By the way, uh, when I was searching for images of this, of this road, I learned that it has a nickname, Death Road. My youth pastor took us on two eight-hour bus rides on Death Road. <laughs> but if you are the driver of that bus, there's really no point in wondering, why is the road like this? Why did they build it this way? The only thing that matters is getting to your destination alive. When we ask God for wisdom, we are not asking God why he allowed the trial to enter our lives. We are asking him to show us how to navigate the road that we're on so that we can keep glorifying him. Uh, we've been studying wisdom with our high school students this year. And part of that has been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by a man named Kohelet. And Kohelet says, uh, look, <laughs> the world is enigmatic, okay? It doesn't make sense. So much of what happens appears to be random, okay? Often, wicked people prosper, righteous people suffer. In the end, everyone dies. You can spend your whole life laboring, and when your time is up, all of your hard work might be completely undone by the person who comes after you. And the word that he uses to describe this is smoke. Over and over and over again, he says, it's all smoke. You can't grasp it. You can't control it. It's fleeting to the point of being frustrating. And he goes on to say, the harder you try to understand what God is up to, the more obsessed you become with the apparent aimlessness of everything that happens, the more depressed you'll become. And the more you'll be tempted to believe that life really is pointless and random. And so what does Kohelet conclude? Well, he says, here's what you have to do. You have to take off your rose-colored glasses. You have to stop expecting life to make sense. You have to embrace life as it is with all its disappointments and futility and seeming randomness. Enjoy the good gifts that you receive, but hold them in an open hand. Work hard, but leave the results to God. Don't expect God to give you insider information. Instead, allow his hidden providence to humble you and teach you to walk by faith and not by sight. And he gets to the end of his book and he wraps it all up by saying, fear God and keep his commandments. Trust and obey him and worship him in humility. God doesn't always give us the answers, but he gives us himself.
this week, someone in our small group said, it's not my job to understand why everything happens. It's my job to trust God and do the best I can. Amen. The wisdom that God promises to give us, if we ask him, is the wisdom to navigate the road that we're on so that we can keep glorifying him. All right, let's get right to the crux of the issue. Here is the ultimate existential question when it comes to wisdom. Whose wisdom will we trust? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. The prophet Isaiah has a, has a really interesting definition of sin. Isaiah says that sin is rejecting God's wisdom and going your own way. Fundamentally, this is really a trust issue. Who do we trust? Christians believe that wisdom is not a set of principles. It's a person. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So why should we trust Jesus? John Stackhouse says it well. He says, in Jesus, we see what we desperately need to see. God close to us. God active among us. God loving us. God forgiving our sin. God opening up a new life of everlasting love. If Jesus is the human face of God, then human beings have a God who cares. A God who acts on their behalf, even to the point of self-sacrifice. A God who is now engaged in the complete conquest of evil and the reestablishment of universal shalom for all time. If Jesus is truly God revealed, then we can trust God in spite of all the evil around us and inside of us. We can trust God both when we understand in part and when we don't have a clue. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. That's the Christian life right there. Trusting Jesus' wisdom rather than our own. Imagine you, have, you, you own a business and your business fails. <laughs> Even after you let all of your employees go and you sell off your assets, you are still up to your ears in debt. Well, amazingly, someone comes along and offers to buy you out. They pay off your debts and now you are free and clear. And then imagine the next Monday you get up and you go to work. And the new owner walks in and sees you behind your old desk and she says, uh, excuse me, what are you doing here? And you say, I'm working. And she says, no, I don't think so. I bought you out. You don't work here anymore. This is not your desk. Well, when you become a Christian, when you convert, when you repent, you go to God and you say, I need help. I am up to my ears in debts I cannot pay. Clearly, I am not qualified to run my own life. And Jesus says, I will buy you out. I will cancel your debts. But, but, I'm taking over management. You are no longer in charge. 
We're going to do it my way from now on. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not, well, I, I really like Jesus. You know, I, I really admire how he treats the poor and how kind and loving he is to everybody. I just like having Jesus around as a source of inspiration, but I'm still in charge of my life. No, that's not how it works. When you become a Christian, you say to God, I was wrong to trust in my own wisdom. I was wrong to think that I knew better than you. And I'm repenting of that. And I am resolving from now on to trust you. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And now the key is to remember that even when trials come. To keep trusting in God's wisdom even when things get rough, which is hard to do. You know, imagine uh, you're, you're on a, a flight and you get up there to, you know, 30,000 feet and all of a sudden there's turbulence, okay? What do you do? Do you bang on the cockpit door and say to the pilot, hey, I don't like what's going on up here. Let me in so I can take over the flying. No, that would be insane. I mean, you know, unless you're a pilot, you are not qualified to fly the plane. The turbulence does not qualify you. And yet, this is what we do to God all the time. We experience some turbulence and we say to God, hey, I don't like the way things are going. I'm taking the controls from now on. Well, guess what? We're even less qualified to run our own lives than we are to fly the plane. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what that means? It means that when we come to the end of ourselves, when we stop insisting on our own way, that's when God has room to work in our lives. The kingdom of heaven means that God is reigning, not us. We submit to God, not the other way around. And the good news is, God's reign, God's laws, are not designed to cramp your style. They're designed to help you to flourish, but it's a trust issue. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Jesus is a lot of things. He's a shepherd, a friend, a pioneer, a captain, a healer. He's the prince of peace. But first and foremost, Jesus is Savior and Lord. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? As the one who bails you out, cancels your debt, forgives your sin, reconciles you to the Father? Have you given up trying to save yourself? Trying to justify your existence and prove your worth on your own? Have you let Jesus rescue you and redeem and restore you. You need that. Do you know Jesus as your Lord? As the one that you depend on to show you how life works best? To show you how to, how to navigate the twists and turns of your life? 
Have you given up trying to run the show? Have you stopped trusting yourself? Have you leaned on him and asked him for wisdom so that you can bring him glory no matter what happens to you? You need that too. You know, some people know Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, which, to be honest, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because if you're wise and competent enough to run your own life, why do you need a Savior? I want to lead us in a prayer today, and I want to invite you to make it your own. Wherever you are, bow your head. If you're driving, pull over, and let's pray. God, uh, thank you for being wise. Thank you that you see the end from the beginning. Forgive me when I doubt your wisdom. Forgive me when I trust myself more than I trust you. I need Jesus to be my Savior. I cannot save myself. I need forgiveness. I need a fresh start. And I desperately need to be loved and accepted in spite of the things that I've said and done that I know dishonored you. And I need Jesus to be my Lord. I need him to show me how to live the life that I was created to live. I need to learn how to trust him and walk in his ways. Your ways are perfect. Mine are not. So I'm signing over the deed to my life to Jesus. I'm asking him to manage it from now on. Please, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Be my anchor and my guiding star in every storm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.